So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about discipleship as a journey of grace. And we started off with, with Pastor Bruce kind of kicked off this series. And, uh, and we've been talking about this invitation that God has given each and every one of us. God has called us. He has sparked to life the spirit within us. And he invites us to come and see. To see what this whole God thing's about. To see what it is that, that Jesus has done for us. And to, to dip our toes in the water to experience it firsthand, to satisfy that curiosity. But Jesus then calls us to follow me. Because you can't just stand on the sidelines forever. You're either going to get in or you're going to stay out. And Jesus is calling you to, to go all in, to, to receive all that he has for you. And when you do that, he promises. He promises that you will be transformed. He's not going to leave you as you are. God has much more for you. And that's kind of what, what Russ talked about last week with God's sustaining grace. How these, these, these practices, these, these church disciplines of, of prayer and, and the sacrament of communion and reading your Bible, all of these are good things, but they, they by themselves aren't enough. You read your Bible a whole bunch, you'll just become knowledgeable in the Bible. You need God to to work with you, and God uses all of these things to continue to build you up towards that transformation. And then God gives us the commission to go and do. Because we've gone through that entire journey, and we've experienced God's grace from his prevenient grace to his saving grace to his sustaining grace. We've experienced God's grace through all of this, and we've gone on this long journey but there are others who are just beginning. There are others who are dipping their toe in the water. There are others who are curious. And God has called us to be his ambassadors, to tell people, to, to help them along that journey. Now, I know that sounds like a lot. Many people, they're like, yeah, I'm not the preacher. That's your job. I'm not all in on the, the whole declaring the gospel and, and, and bringing people to salvation. It sounds like a whole lot. And I'm not enough. I'm not prepared enough. I can't do that. Well, I would say you're right and you're wrong. This morning we're going to look at the life of a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples and, and he walked this earth with him and he learned a whole lot. And as we look in Acts chapter 2, Peter, well, I might as well just read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Rather... This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And Peter goes on to lay out exactly the, the prophecies that spoke of Jesus, of his ministry, of, of the necessity that, that he was sacrificed and, and rise from the dead. He lays out the entire gospel message. Now, there were people here, there were people in Jerusalem at that time, they, they came to celebrate the holiday of Pentecost. 
They didn't come to hear Peter, but as they began to see things happening, as they heard things were, were going on with their own eyes and their own ears, they began to be interested. And I can imagine they were leaning in and they're like, what is going on? There is stuff happening. and I want to know more. And they were intrigued by everything that Peter was saying as, as Peter stood there and spoke boldly of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But it's really interesting. Because as we read through the Gospels, as we get to the end of each of the Gospels, that's not the Peter that we see. If we look, if we look at the, the book of Matthew, in Matthew, Peter has his ministry with Jesus, but on, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he, he tells all the disciples, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to run away. And Peter said, no, not me. Jesus, I will stay with you. I will die for you. And Jesus tells him, no, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. Peter said, I, I would never do that. But lo and behold, he did. He denies Jesus three times that night. And when, when the rooster crows, he understands what he has done. And, and he's defeated and he's dejected and he goes away in shame. And that's where Matthew leaves him. We don't hear anything else about Peter in the book of Matthew. Mark gives us a little bit more. He tells us the, the same thing, how Peter left in shame because he had failed Jesus. But when Jesus resurrects and, and he tells the women to go tell the disciples, he says, and go tell Peter. Luke tells us that when Peter heard, he, he ran to the tomb. But I mean, that still pretty much leaves him where he was. So what happened? What took this, this man who was shameful and dejected, who had failed Jesus, who was just utterly defeated? How did he get to this man that we see in the book of Acts who boldly proclaimed, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Well, John gives us a little bit more information. In John chapter 20, we, we see of Jesus' resurrection and how Jesus appeared to the disciples. He came to them and, and he breathed on them and he gave them the Holy Spirit. But even with that, in, in chapter 21, it tells us, Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat. But throughout the night, they caught nothing. That may seem really insignificant. I mean, okay, Peter went fishing. What a, what's the big deal? Peter had seen the resurrected Christ. Peter had the Holy Spirit breathed upon him, and, and yet he's still not that man that we see in the book of Acts. He decides to go fishing. He, he reverts back to his default. And that, that's human nature. That's what we do. We, we revert back to what we know. If you're a mechanic and you've had just a really rough day and you just want to unwind on the weekend, you might just go out in the garage and, and tinker with a car or something just, just for fun because that's your default and that, that I don't know, re reinvigorates you or something. Maybe you're an artist and, and you, you just, the weight of the world is bearing down on you and it just, it helps to just, sketch something out or, or to paint something, to fall back to your default, that's what we do. But his default was a fisherman. So that doesn't answer the question of what happened. 
we still have a man that is completely different from the man that we see in the book of Acts. So what happened? What, what, happened, what took place in that gap of time? What brought him from that dejected failure fisherman default to this boldly proclaiming apostle? Well, we see a little bit of that at the beginning of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, it, it tells about how Jesus had visited his disciples, how he'd come back to them. And then it tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, while they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result... Those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus came back. Jesus spent a good month teaching them and, and helping them to understand, preparing them. And he gave them the commission, go and make disciples, go and do. But he said, first, I need you to wait. I need you to go to Jerusalem and I need you to wait for what the father is going to give you. And that's what they do. Then they return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James's son. All were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, in the Church of the Nazarene, we are self-proclaimed holiness people. Some would even call us Pentecostal because we, we sincerely believe in the power that was poured out at Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit being given to the followers of Christ and the, the power and the cleansing that took place there. And so everything within me, like I want to go forward and I want to talk about the outpouring of that Holy Spirit because that is vitally important. But I think we need to take a step back. And we need to answer, we need to answer a very theological question can you prevent God's work if God wants to do something can you stop him from doing it now there are those who would say absolutely not God is all-powerful God is omnipotent God there's nothing that God can't do and and because of that if God wants to do something he's going to do it and there is nothing you can do to stop him but then there are others who would say, yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, God is, can do anything that he wants, but he allows us a certain measure of autonomy, a certain measure of free will. 
in which God is not going to, to force us. His, his grace is not irresistible. We can resist God, and in so doing, we can prevent what he wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. And in that way, we can prevent God from working just by rejecting him. And actually, that's kind of what we see. If we go back a little bit in John, Jesus is talking and he says, I will ask the Father. And he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. You see, God wants to move in your heart. God wants to move in your life. But he's not going to do it without your permission. God could make you do it. God could do whatever he wanted. But God loves you, and he wants that love in return. And so he allows us that measure of free will where we can say, no, thank you, God. I am happy with my life, and I don't want anything else. But if we do accept, then he will pour out all of his blessings and all the transformation that he has. Now that's what took place at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And as much of me wants to, to dive into that, I think it's vitally important to look at what happened in that upper room. As it says that they were devoted to prayer. Based on that sentence alone, based on my own experience, I believe that there was a lot going on in that upper room before the Holy Spirit was ever poured out. I believe that Peter and every man and woman who were in that room, they had to wrestle with God. They had to come to terms with, with their lives. Peter had to wrestle with his past failures because this was the man who denied Jesus. This was the man that said, no, I will be with you to the end. But he wasn't. All of his energy, all of his desire, it, it failed him. He failed Jesus in his time of need. He wasn't there. We talk about trauma in our past and how those things in our past will weigh on us for years to come. I'm sure that a month later, Peter wasn't over it. Peter hadn't completely wrestled with, with all that had taken place. And, and he had to come to terms with, with everything that he had done, all of his failures in his past. But he also had to wrestle with his present identity. Because it was Jesus who declared, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. But Peter, when left to his own devices, he settled back into his groove. He went back to, to being a, a fisherman. He, he went back to his default. So he had this dichotomy. I see myself as a fisherman. I see myself as a nobody. God sees me as this rock and I can't see myself as that. And I can completely sympathize with Peter in this because I've been there. I, if you guys know me, I would much rather sit back in the sound booth. I would much rather sit back there and, and, and do my little thing. I, 
I was a software engineer by trade. I, I did computer programming, and I absolutely loved it. And God said, I want you to proclaim the news of Christ. I want you to be a pastor. And I said, God, that's not who I am. That's not me. You might see me as this, but, but as I look at myself and I look at my life, I'm a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. And I can see that, that Peter is, is wrestling with that same thing. He's a, he's a fisherman. He's a guy that goes out and catches fish in the quiet of the night. He's not the one to, to stand up and proclaim, but that's what we see. And many of us, your story is completely different than mine, but we wrestle with those same things. God has said, you are my child. You are valuable. But many times we look at our own lives and we say, no, I'm a mistake. I'm worthless. Nobody loves me. And we have that, that default that, that counteracts or, or works against what God sees, the identity that God has for us. And Peter had to wrestle through that. But then he also had to wrestle with his future journey. Because God is taking us all on this journey. He invites us to come and see, to, to dip our toes in the water, experience what he's offering. He calls us to follow me. And he promises us that, that you will be transformed. And that all sounds really good. Where we come to Christ and we, we recognize our sin and we said, yes, I need that saving grace of Christ in my life. And God's going to transform me? Great. Uh, let me be transformed. Let me be better. God is going to make me a better me. And we think, well, God's, I'm a fisherman, so God's going to make me a better fisherman. I'm a mechanic. God's going to make me a better version of me. God's going to make me a better mechanic. And we get happy with that groove. But God is calling us to not follow our own groove, but to follow the path that he is laying out. God is calling us to transformation, radical transformation. And that's usually where the train gets derailed because we're content. Getting into our groove, going back to our default, that's easy. God making us a better version of me, that's great. I'm, I'm happy to be a better version of me. I'm, I'm happy in my groove. I'm happy with laying out the plan for my own life. But when God deviates and God wants to take us somewhere else, when God wants to dictate our future journey, well, then that's where we have trouble. This is what we often refer to in the Church of the Nazarene as a crisis moment. Where a decision has to be made. You see, I was 20 years old when God called me to be a pastor. It was another 10 years before I listened to him. But early on, early on I was like the parable of the, the, the grain that was sown on the, the rocky soil. I sprang up and I was like, yes, God, I'm going to follow. I'm going to do what you want. But I just as quickly withered out and said, eh, no thanks, God. You're calling me to something I'm not comfortable with. You're calling me to a transformation that I, I just want to be a better me. I don't see myself like that. 
I'm a behind the scenes kind of guy. I know my past failures. I know how I identify. I know what I want to happen in my future. And so I chose not to wrestle with all of that. And I ignored it for 10 years. I ignored it. I said, yeah, I know what you have, God, but I'm not interested. And God, in his grace, he didn't force me to wrestle with it. God continued to work. God never stopped. God never stopped calling me. God's grace never abandoned me. But he didn't force me to, to wrestle with that until I was ready to do so. And the time came when I had to wrestle with it. When I had to come to terms, when I came to that crisis moment where I had to make a decision because I knew in my life that I couldn't continue to follow God and continue to reject what he had for me. And so it was on the back roads in Moline, Illinois. I went on a walk at my lunch break. And I just had to hash it out with God. Because I knew who I was, or I thought I knew. I, I had my, everything that I had failed at in my past. Every time that I had not measured up, every time that I had failed God, I'd, I had my own identity, who I wanted to be, and what I wanted to do with my future. And I wrestled with God. And it was on that back road in Moline that I finally said, God, I can't do this. I know that you are there. I know that you are real. I know that, that you have a plan for my life, and it terrifies me. I don't know what you're going to do, but I trust you. You can have me. And that's where Peter was. As he was wrestling in that upper room. Telling God, I know that I have failed you. I know that I haven't measured up. I know that, that I'm just a fisherman. I'm nobody special. And I don't know where you're going to take me in life. And it scares me because I'm good with transformation but I don't know about that much. And on that back road in Moline, Illinois, when I told God, you can have me, a wave of relief poured over me. And my soul was filled with joy and it felt like a burden had been lifted. And that's what took place at Pentecost. As, as the people in that room, they, they wrestled with God and they, they dealt with that crisis moment and, and God's Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and their lives were changed and transformed because they, they navigated that gap, because they, they wrestled through that crisis moment and God's Spirit was poured out just as Peter would proclaim. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy this is what god has planned all along in this journey of grace god has promised that he would transform you that you would be something new you would be a new creation that his spirit would cleanse you and empower you but the question is are you going to stop him you have the power to do that. 
you have the power to say, no, thanks, God, I'm not going to wrestle with that. No, thanks, God, I'm not going to go any farther. And in so doing, you miss out on the transformation that he has. You miss out on, on who God is calling you to be. So the question this morning is, what is your crisis moment? What are the past failures that you are, are wrestling with? What, are, what has happened in your life that you say, God could never use me. I have done the unforgivable. I have been a terrible person. I have, I have failed and abandoned God. What is your crisis moment? What is your crisis moment what, with your identity, your, your presence, who you see yourself as? Because all of us carry identities. All of us carry who we see ourselves as. We, we carry what other people see us as. And the question is, who are you going to be? Are you going to be just a lowly fisherman? Are you going to be the, the identity that you've put upon yourself? Are you going to be who society has put on you, who society has said, this is who you are? Or are you going to see, how, see you how God sees you? And allow God to, to take you from that lowly fisherman, from that, that mistake that you see yourself as, and make you into a child of God, empowered to do what he has called you to do, to transform you into who he has called you to be. What is your crisis moment? When it comes to your future, do you have your life planned out? You know what you want to do. You have, your, you have your whole life planned out. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is my groove, and it's comfortable. But God is calling you on a new path. And you have to wrestle with, am I going to stay in my groove? Am I going to follow my own path? Or will I allow God to take me down a different one? Will I allow God to dictate where my future goes? And it's scary and it's terrifying because you don't know what's going to happen. But we serve a good God. A God that has called you to more. Who has called you to, to navigate this gap from where you are and who you see yourself as being and who God is calling you to be through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. But the question is, are you going to let him? Will you allow God to work in your heart, to work in your life? What are you wrestling with this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to we're going to close in song and as we sing this song i want you to wrestle i want you to 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 navigate that gap through that crisis moment and allow god to work in your heart whatever god's calling you to do whoever god's calling you to be however god is wants to use you Allow him to do so. The altars are open. If you want to come sit on the front rows, I would invite you to come and wrestle with God this morning.
my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the
Jesus. We invite your Holy Spirit here today. God, you have called us to be transformed. You have called us to more. But you're not going to force us to move. And so God, I pray that, that each and every one of us would wrestle that we would navigate that gap, God, that we would allow you to work in our hearts and in our lives, that we would allow you to pour out your Holy Spirit to cleanse us from within and to empower us, God, through your sanctifying grace. God, may we be changed. May we surrender all to you, turning over our past and our failures, turning over our identity and who we see ourselves as being that we would surrender our future to you. God, we would allow you to move in our hearts and in our lives. And that you would allow, we would allow you to, to dictate everything. Go with us this week, God. God, and continue to put it before us that we would wrestle. That we would navigate through that crisis moment allow you to work in our hearts and in our lives because we know that you are a good God God continue to draw us near to you we pray this in the holy and matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior Amen God bless you guys I love you and we'll see you next week